This is Talking Tech brought to you by Whirlpool Corporation, a show where we bring you different perspectives and solutions to everyday commercial laundry issues. We're here to give you tips and tricks that can make your life a little easier and save you some time. I'm Freddie. I'm Jordan. And this is Talking Tech. Welcome to today's episode of Talking Tech. My name is Freddie. I'm joined today by Jordan. You might recognize our voices from the commercial tech line where we help technicians in need get through their day. If there's a question you would like us to cover, please use the questionnaire or find us on the tech line at 1-800-662-3587 and on serviceconnections.org, both linked below. And as always, you can find Talking Tech on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. Just search Talking Tech, brought to you by Whirlpool Corporation. On today's episode, we're going to answer questions we received from the questionnaire Jordan mentioned as well as give some troubleshooting information using questions we received through email. Now, the first question we received was from Anthony. He actually reached out through the questionnaire and asked us the following. Hello, any plans to discuss the differences between residential and commercial products for someone thinking about making the switch or adding commercial to their daily routes? Also, both of you sound young for an aging industry. How can we continue to bring in and keep technicians in our industry? And lastly, how did you get into the industry? Well, thank you, Anthony. These are really good questions. Uh, now, we are going to answer these questions in a bit of a flipped order just to kind of make it make a little more sense and kind of lay it out better. So thank you for the question, Anthony. For the first part of your question regarding commercial and residential, um, so there are many ways we can answer this question. But first, we actually have some questions for you. If you want to reach out uh, specifically, uh, basically using our questionnaire or our email, uh, we're going to try to split that up, right? Residential versus commercial, Whirlpool versus Maytag. There could be a lot of ways we could take this, right? Customer pricing, longevity, serviceability, and whatnot. We just kind of really want to know a little bit about what your location or what your situation looks like a little bit so we can give you better advice. Exactly, yeah. What is the scenario? Are you going from like a small chassis residential to small chassis commercial or all the way up to multi-load uh, like hard mount machines? Now for the question about how we got into the industry, for this question, we actually invited Chris Faustenselis, the customer manager for the commercial tech line, uh, to shed some light on his commercial laundry journey. Hey guys, well, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Well, to answer the question, Freddie, I basically started soon after I graduated from my vocational technical school where I studied in the electronics lab. This knowledge and background allowed me to be hired into a technical position where I was able to grow at my own pace without much pressure. I was also able to leverage some of these skills by working in the board repair department as well. I had several important mentors who I looked up to along the way who I could always rely on to give me honest feedback which really helped me grow. The company leveraged my technical skills and brought me into increasing roles of responsibility. I think this journey is important to having long-term successful employees. When we're talking about bringing in technicians, I think introducing them early in their careers and onboarding them well is a major key. Ensure the culture around them is one that encourages growth and learning. However, there is no learning without failure. So we have to encourage them and help them learn where they fail and ensure there is a great team around them that they can look up to. Also, push them to ask questions when they don't understand. It is important to look towards vocational high school graduates and vocational technical school graduates as talent pools for these roles. All right. So, Chris, thank you for sharing uh, kind of how you got into commercial laundry. Now, obviously, you started off in technical school first, what it sounds like, and then you then transitioned with, I'm assuming, ADC at the time? That's correct. All right. So, when you were ADC, like, what, what was your starting point there? Because, obviously, you made your transition from 
from point A to point B, obviously now, now you are a, the lead of the commercial tech line. How did that come to be? Well, really, Freddie, it was a long time coming, right? So, I mean, basically, I was on the tech line for 13 years. Um, I'm not going to throw my age out there, but I'm fairly young. And so basically, all of my 20s were consumed with solving technical problems, learning a lot. And, and that's the biggest thing. Um, when, when you're answering difficult questions every single day, all day, and that is your job, you, you tend to learn pretty quickly. And I feel like that allowed me to, to become pretty proficient. So Chris, it sounds like basically there was a lot of practice leading up to what you had today. So one of the things that the question asked here is, is how do we retain, right? And you mentioned something about people investing in you. So how did they invest in you to retain you here in this industry? Great question, Freddie. So, I mean, basically what they did for me is they really took me under their wing and allowed me to, like I mentioned, is grow without pressure, grow without expectation, and allow you to grow at your own pace. Not everyone is going to learn quickly. Some, some people take more time than others. And having that privilege to be able to learn in that environment really helped me. All right, Jordan. So if you want to enlighten us a little bit about your journey so far. Yeah, absolutely, Freddie. I interned at Whirlpool in the Board Repair Department for about a year, and when it came time to leave the program, I was told about a position opening up in the factory to work with production. I kind of saw this as an opportunity, and a few months later, uh, I had began working in the test booth here at the Fall River Production Facility. I remained there for almost two years or so uh, when I then moved over to the service team working on our commercial laundry technical support line. Uh, the big theme here for me that brought me in and has made me stay in commercial laundry was opportunity and support. While I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do or how to do it, I had the support of numerous people throughout my journey, including Chris, that I could turn to for advice and guidance as well as teaching technical know-how. Uh, because of this, I've been able to kind of make my way through various roles and gather knowledge along the way that has definitely made me better understand what I'm doing. Without this support, I definitely don't think I'd be on this podcast right now. And speaking of this podcast, as you know, it's a podcast Freddie and I run. So, Freddie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your bat story? Yeah, Jordan, so it's not vastly different, right? You'll see some similarities and some differences here. So after high school, I really didn't have proper direction. I decided to go into automotive technical school at that point. Like Chris and Jordan, technical school gave me the electrical background I would need. Anyone can be taught how to change a part, but can you diagnose the, the issue at hand? That is what sets the technician apart and what I also learned in school. So after working in automotive for a couple years, I was given the opportunity to work in, the, in this industry, right, the laundry industry. At first, there was some hesitation on my part due to the departure from what I knew. In reality, this opportunity kicked off my commercial laundry career. My then boss had faith in me due to my electrical training, and he knew that my mechanical skills would come in play later on during installations and service calls. Now, 12 years later, I've had the pleasure of working on different brands as a technician while working in the field and with small distributors and additionally with ADC and now with Whirlpool and Maytag on the commercial tech line and now with my new role as the service area manager for the Northeast. All these opportunities would not have been possible without my technical school. All right, so thanks guys for kind of giving me a little bit of your, your background, right? Now, we all take different paths to the same goal. So how do we bring technicians into commercial laundry? If we're looking for a technician, fixating on commercial laundry alone might not get us the results. 
Looking for technicians in other fields can set you up to train someone who will be with you long term. Additionally, training them on how to use a multimeter and read wiring diagrams will help them be a better technician, better than you actually ever expected. Long story short, invest in your talent and they will grow with you. This is the reason why I'm still in commercial laundry today. Yeah, it's a great point, Freddie. If you kind of fixate on commercial laundry alone, you might not find, you know, enough people to kind of fulfill your needs. So you can kind of reach out to those other fields, kind of like, you know, like automotive industry or like HVAC, different fields that are, you know, somewhat technical and you can kind of get some talent from there. And like you said, train them up and support them and give them those opportunities to grow. Yeah, there's definitely other fields that you should take a look in. So my example is I came from automotive. When I was offered this opportunity, everyone thought it was a little crazy, right? And here I am 12 plus years later, still doing the same thing, still growing in this, in this, uh, in this field as well. And only a little crazy. And only a little crazy, right? As you saw, we have Chris and I who's been at this for, for some time, but not maybe as long as other people. And you have Jordan that was just introduced into commercial laundry not too long ago. And, you know, so how do, we, how do we get guys from other fields? Very simple. Let's look into other fields where you might not think to look into, such as automotive, HVAC, you know, electrical backgrounds in general. You know, I think the key here is that anyone can change a part at the end of the day, but you know, if they already have a electrical background, then you can build upon that technician will be great in the long run. Freddie, uh, one more thing. So Jordan is a lot better than us in some things, right? He's he's younger so he has a lot of experience with newer electronics vr you name it also he may have a lot more hair than us too but we're not going to really talk about that right at now. one point in time i did have hair that seven was, years old does not count yeah well that was that was before marriage and before commercial laundry so wh which one did i don't know but you know jordan you have that to look forward to anyways on the topic of you know training your talent and kind of building them up to you know be the best they can be in that field where do you get that training? And I think it's important to bring Chris back on here to kind of discuss that. So, Chris, where do you, you know, where could you get training or opportunities for training for te new technicians? Well, Jordan, I'm glad you asked. We have a lot of ways you can get training. First of all, you can train yourself at your own pace by using our service manuals and tech sheets. There's a lot of good information in there. And if you already have the base knowledge, a lot of those concepts will make sense to you. Many of our service manuals have videos showing you step-by-step -step instructions on how to access components, how to do bearing jobs, how to do all the necessary things inside of our machines. They also have deeper technical bits on how to measure components and show you what those values should be uh, and what you should expect from them. We also have our newly launched Maytag Learning Center and certification program that distributors can send their technicians to for free. All they need to do is sign up through their field service manager. Now, training is one thing, but none of us will know everything. When going into a job, no matter how much training we have, we could be working on a product that was made before we were born. Well, that would mean every single machine for Jordan. Basically, yeah. Um, or it could be a new machine that we just haven't had the exposure to yet. The important thing is having the right tools and the base knowledge for that job. Knowing how to read a wiring diagram, use a voltage meter, and accessing technical information are the three biggest assets any technician can have. If those three things are not leading you in the right direction, the next tool is using our team on the tech line. We are here to help you solve basic programming questions to complex tilting or auto door complications on our industrial products. By the way, our phone number has changed. You can now reach us toll free at one 800 662 
3587. Listen to the branded options, select your brands, and then use the tech line option as number one. Yeah, so thank you again, Chris. Um, basically, one great thing that you mentioned is having the right tools, right? Although I already knew how to read wine diagrams coming from the automotive industry, one thing that I didn't realize was how easy that transition would have been because I know how to read the wine diagrams. Now, even though I know how to read the wine diagrams, doesn't mean I necessarily knew how to fix the machines, right? So there was one point in my career where I heavily, heavily relied on technical support for years, really, and I technically still do now. Um, the guys on the tech line have always helped me out, and Chris used to be one of those guys. Uh, before I went out on a job, I would, I would definitely talk to them about what I'm working on, what I'm heading into, because I just didn't have the experience yet. And guess what? Even though Chris, we're the same age, he had more experience at that time. So I leaned on him to kind of give me the heads up on what I might be heading into and what I might look for. So definitely use our tech line. Again, we can get you wiring diagrams if you need to. We can guide you through it. And even more importantly, even if you're already not there, if you're going there tomorrow, give us a quick call. We might be able to give you a heads up on what you're going to be working on tomorrow. So our next segment is actually called the help code. This week's help code is gonna be centered around an email that we received. Now, just like the other tools that we mentioned, email or emailing us is a tool that the technician could use in order to get a response that they don't need immediately. Now we have time to kind of have a back and forth and ask some questions. But as you can see, right, we, we had a question at the beginning and now we have a different email where we kind of help people out in different ways. So go ahead, Jordan, what have we got today? Yeah, thank you, Freddie. So the uh, email in question was from a customer uh, who was basically saying that their machine has stopped functioning and has a message displayed. Now this message was kind of like a service reminder. So we basically were able to unlock the machine for them and then they seemingly were good to go. Now. The solution to the problem here is that there really is no problem per se. Like I said, this message is more of a service reminder. So the solution was to then unlock this machine. However, once we unlocked the machine is where the real issue started to show. The customer then tried to run their machine and was prompted with a burner control fault. Uh, now for some context, this was an ADC D50, so it's an American dryer phase seven uh, machine. Now, for the strange part here is that after kind of digging into the machine with the customer, it actually was found out that this was an electric machine, but yet it was giving us a burner control fault, which this machine should not have that fault if it's electric. So that's a little bit weird in general, right? So why would we get that code on an electric machine? I would say from doing the reset, the board went back to factory. So what advice would we give a technician to resolve burner control fault on an electric machine that has no burner control or as we call it, DSI? Well, once again, a very simple solution was given in this case. We actually reprogrammed our control to an electric heated model. So on the phase 7.2 control, we actually have a model setting, and that can go from various different options between heat types and also motor types. So basically what you would do in this case, we need to change from gas to electric, but also kind of specify it to the customer's motors. So on a phase 7.2, you would actually press your stop and up arrow button at the same time in order to enter the programming mode. Now, once we are in the programming mode, you would press the up arrow once where you will see select system parameters. At this point, press start twice and you should see select model. Now press start once more and you'll see a model. For example, it may say gas reversing. You can now use the up and down arrow to cycle through the different options the board has. And as always, refer to the model tab to know which model would be correct for your machine. Right, thanks, Sorry. So via email, right, not even on a phone call, this literally went from scenario A to scenario B, right? But with the right information, as you can see, we were able to kind of walk the customer through those steps. 
Yeah, exactly, Friday. Now, I don't want to leave the audience hanging here um, because I know everyone's probably, their main question is, well, what is burner control fault, right? And in most cases, it isn't just a simple programming. It just so happened to be in this scenario. So while this case was a programming uh, you know, matter, what do you do if you have a gas machine that is giving you a burner control? Right, so now we're going to shift over that we actually have a burner control, right? So, so burner control fault is one of those codes that can basically take a technician for a ride if they don't know or understand how the system works. The burner control is the DSI or direct spark module. The module has one main job. It brings spark and power to the gas valve in order to then light the gas. In reality, it does way more than that. To begin with, all safeties must be met after starting the cycle. So these safeties are exhaust high limit, burner high limit, and cell switch. The DSI or burner control will receive the power, which in this case is 24 volts AC, from the control board. Once power is received to the DSI, the DSI sends power to the gas valve and then to the igniter at the same time, again, to light the flame. Once the flame sensor, more importantly, right, the flame sensor senses flame, the spark then stops. Heat will continue until we reach operating temperature. This process would be considered normal operation. So the next question is, how does the system know? So additionally, there is a return wire on the gas valve that will return power, 24 volts AC, back to the board. This is how the board knows that the burner control did its job, right, the DSI which is to send power to the gas valve. If the 24 volts AC signal is not seen back at the board, right, or that voltage is not returned, that's when we know and we see a burner control fault. Oh, I got it, Freddie. So what you're telling me pretty much is that if we don't receive 24 volts back from the gas valve, then it's safe to assume the DSI is bad, right? Well, not exactly, Jordan, right? We're not gonna jump to conclu conclusions yet. Let's say if the safeties are met and the DSI did receive power, but the DSI did not send power out to the gas valve. In this case, we would get a burner control fault. The gas valve is not at fault as it is waiting for power, 24 volts, from the DSI to the gas valve. Most likely, the DSI is at fault. This issue is separate from ignition fault, which we will cover on a later episode. Oh, I get it now, Freddie. So what if I'm measuring the 24 volts AC at my gas valve, and let's just say my flame is on, but I still get that burner control error. Is it still potentially a DSI or no? So at this point, we would need to confirm that the board is seeing the 24 volts that's coming from the gas valve back to the board. We could do this by looking at the gas V light, which is an actual LED on the back of the board as a visual indicator. Uh, if this 24 volts is present and the gas V light is on, that means we have a return. A loose connection at the gas valve or on the board could fool the board into not seeing the voltage. And therefore, that gas V light would not be there. They're in, therefore indicating a burner control fault. Oh, I get it, Freddie. So the fault would be more of a perceived issue um, in, in the sense that the board is kind of pointing blame at the burner control, but really it's just blind to the actual function at that point. Yeah, basically which component didn't do its job, right? So additionally, since we do have an expert here with us, right, one, one more brainiac in the room, um, Chris, do you have anything else to add on burner control? We have a lot of different errors that are related to heat, whether that is high limits or sail switches or burner ignition fault, which, to your point here earlier, does have a different root cause than burner control fault. 
that is when we're seeing the voltage being returned, but it goes away because that is being controlled by the DSI. So what we have seen before as well is gas valves are probably the biggest draw on the 24 volt circuit, larger than the contactor draws or, or any of the switches, obviously, because there's really no draw across the switch. So with that being said, if you have a bad connection somewhere along the lines, whether that either be in your safety circuits or somewhere else, you could actually see the voltage drop. If the voltage drop gets below 20 volts or something like that from the gas valve return, you are going to see some, some potential errors there. And that's when a meter really comes into play. Yeah, so that's a great point. So as you can see in that scenario, technically, most likely all of our safeties would have been met in that case. But if we had a drop in voltage somewhere along the line, that means our 24 volts technically can't make it back to the board, not because it doesn't want to, but because it's just simply not there, right? So the board could see that technically as a burner control fault because we don't have the necessary power to give the board the thumbs up that the system is working properly. Correct. And if you were to use a tool such as like a voltage pen or, or, or something along those lines, the issue is the voltage pen may actually tell you that everything is okay because you have some voltage there. However, what you do not realize is that the voltage is too low. Thanks, Chris. Right. All great points, different ways to look at it. That's why we kind of heavily rely on each other you know, and the tech line as well to get the right answers or even possible answers that we might not even think about. So thank you for joining us today. Again, your experience is greatly appreciated and, and you know, keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you guys for having me. I love the podcast. L listen to it every time it comes out. And uh, we've gotten really good feedback from it. So, so keep them coming. And uh, can't wait to see you all at the Clean Show. Yeah, Clean Show coming up. All right. Thank you, guys. So, Freddie, I think this is a pretty successful episode. Uh, we kind of got couple different, you know, technical uh, information pieces in there, a couple different, you know, less technical information in there. So it's kind of a good mix. Now, we do receive emails like this on the daily, like you said, Freddie. So if you do have any questions, please let us know by emailing MDL, that's Michael David Lima, hyphen talking tech, hyphen GRP, like group almost, at whirlpool.com. It's also linked down below if you want to just copy and paste it. And we also have the questionnaire that you can fill out as well, which might be a quicker way if you don't have access to your email right now. All right. Thanks, Jordan, for that. And Anthony, if you're out there listening, get back to us. We'll be, we would love to dive deeper into the first part of your question to kind of see what your needs are and how, how we can uh, help you, um, you know, find the right answer there. So that's it for today's episode of Talking Tech brought to you by Warble Corporation. As usual, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, let us know by sending us a quick message or using our links listed below. Uh, Jordan, where else could you find us? So you can find us on the tech line at 1-800-662-3587 and of course on serviceconnections.org where you can find access to equipment info, technical sheets, installation manuals, spec sheets, parts information, and much more. Alrighty, so that's it. Till next time.